And the hour we're discussing this particular section on repentance is pictures and parables. I will not have the time, nor can I take the time and the amount of time that I've been given to cover all these bases. It took me quite a little while in the research of this to at least try to boil it all down to the high points. Uh, I hope to encourage you to study this on your own. The next hour in the lesson that has to do basically uh, with what I call the nature of repentance because it talks about rend your hearts and not your garments from Joel chapter 2. We'll get more into the mechanics there. But uh, I want to start with an emphasis of the fact that around when Jesus was 30 years old, there was another man probably around 30 years old, according to Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, and also the early part of Luke. And this individual already had a reputation before he started preaching because his birth was announced long as it were before he was ever born. And that's Zechariah. 400 years in the Old Testament, God did not send any message. And all of a sudden, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, goes into the holy place to burn incense for prayer. And there an angel appears. It terrified him. By the way, that would have terrified me too. And the message was that you're going to have a child, and that child will be the forerunner of the Son of God, the Son of the Highest. He goes into the wilderness looking like Elijah. He has the spirit and the power of Elijah. And he says, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A lot of people would not want him to hold a gospel meeting if that was going to be his topic. You can talk about the kingdom all you want to. Just don't talk about people having to make any changes in repentance. But that was John's message as he went from place to place to place. Matthew 3, 6 says that they came out of Judea, Jerusalem, and all around about in those regions. They came to be baptized of John confessing their sins. Confessing their sins. So they understood that the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins as per Mark 1, verse 4, and Luke chapter 3, and uh, the verse there that mentions that same concept, that we're not being baptized for the sake of being baptized. This is the baptism showing forth our repentant heart to live a different life. And when the Messiah comes, we follow him. That's all they had to do now. Find the Messiah, follow him. Once Jesus then shows up, John doesn't want to baptize Jesus because John thinks he has need to be baptized of Jesus himself. Suffer it to be so, for thus it is for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus then is baptized. John sees the Holy Spirit descend from heaven and come upon Jesus, as it were, in the form of a dove, and he hears a voice, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Forty days, Jesus goes into the wilderness of Judea and is tempted of Satan. And when he comes out and goes to Galilee, here's what the Son of God preached. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They say, well, we've already heard that sermon once before. Well, you're going to hear it again. You're going to hear it out of the mouth now of the Son of God. By the way, I have long passed my 30th birthday. You're not looking at a 30-year-old preacher up here tonight. I remember when I was in my 30s, and I remember this is the time frame in life in which my Lord would have lived. My Lord died a young life as far as I'm concerned. 
John the Baptist preached repentance and then he goes over here and finds a man who's married to another man's wife and says it's not lawful for you to have her. Now the word repentance is not in there, but it's in the statement. Oh, you preach repentance, you lose your head. You preach repentance, they crucify you on a cross. But can you do any better than Jesus Christ in preaching? Can you do any better that Jesus even said of John the Baptist, not a greater prophet was there, but he that's in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Why? Because there is in that all the blessings that you find in the Old Testament that God foretold to the promise he made to Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, then down through David, and ultimately into Christ, and now into his kingdom, his church. I want to do three things tonight in this particular hour, and we want to look at the fact that repentance was a key component to preaching. Now, that should be true for preachers, but it must be true for people who hear preaching. If an individual doesn't want to hear the truth, you generally find that pretty quick in attitudes and sometimes in comments. When you get to the end of the book of Luke, in what we call Luke's account of the Great Commission, where he talks about in Luke 24, verse 46 and 47, Jesus tells the apostles, for thus the Christ must suffer, rise from the dead, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So John the Baptist preached it. Jesus preached it. Jesus tells the apostles to preach it. And then I find an apostle telling Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 2, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who be able to teach others also. Well, what am I supposed to commit to faithful men that they may teach others also? Repentance is a part of it. We'll get to the end of the lesson. We'll see that. But first of all, I want to give you some pictures of rejection when it comes to repentance. Sometimes in looking at a concept, it's important to see its opposite. It, it clarifies things when you look at the opposite. The book of Proverbs does that, doesn't it? The wise, the fool, the sluggard, the diligent, so forth. Opposites. So first of all, we'll look at some pictures of rejection. Then I want us to look at some people that did receive this message and did apply it. And then third, we'll look at a few parables that are found uh, in the gospel accounts that uh, really paint a, a very great picture of this. And then the lesson will be yours. Rejection. The word repentance literally means to change the mind. But I don't know if a person's changed their mind unless they show me that. I don't know what's in your head right now. By the way, if you're asleep, I really don't know what's in your head right now. I mean, you can be staring at me and just say, well, I'm just staring at you. Generally, Dad used to say, shake or nod, and I use that frequently. In other words, do you understand what's being said, what I just said? Okay? If you don't show any indication, how do I know? I know God knows without you having to say anything or even do anything. He knows your heart. I don't know that. The elders of this church don't know that. The elders where you work don't know that. Unless someone brings forth fruit of repentance, you don't know that. Because repentance is in the head. It is a concept that has to do with faith and an attitude towards sin. And there is a change now of mind. 
In Matthew 3, you remember the account where the scribes and the Pharisees, or actually the Pharisees and the Sadducees, came to John in the wilderness. And John said, You generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruit worthy of repentance. I don't know if the Holy Spirit told John why they had come down there, and it wasn't to be baptized of John. But evidently, John knew that they didn't come to acknowledge their sins and be baptized for the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now, the Gospel of John's account basically tells us they came to ask him who he was and what's he about. Are you the Christ? No. Well, what are you about? I'm here to prepare the way of the Lord. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Well, there's no indication as you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that the scribes and the Pharisees as a whole got it. Repentance is not what they would stress for themselves. Sinners repent. Sinners repent. Not righteous people. By the way, Jesus used that concept over and over and over when talking to them. To probe their mind to get them to see. I'm not about talking and eating and associating with righteous people. I'm here to associate with sinners. By the way, everywhere Jesus ever associated was with a sinner. Didn't matter what station in life, what gender they were, every person he met was a sinner. He was the only one that wasn't. So why would he not eat with publicans and sinners? If he's going to meet with people, he's going to be with sinners. Some sinners will end up being saved. Some sinners will end up being lost. But they're all sinners. So what's he going to preach? He goes into the cities of Galilee. Turn to Matthew 11. He's done many, many miracles up in that region. Capernaum, Chorazin, Bethsaida. He's preached what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He's probably preached what we also call the Sermon in the Valley in Luke's account. Parallel thoughts. He's fed the multitudes. He's raised the dead. He's he's healed people of all kinds of sicknesses. They're coming from everywhere to be healed of him and also to listen to the man that can heal anything. He's casting out demons right and left. Even his disciples are doing that. What manner of man is this? What manner of teaching is this when he doesn't do like the scribes do? He says, I say to you. Scribes didn't do that way. They say Moses said or the prophet said. They always quoted somebody else. By the way, that's what I'd say. The Lord said. According to Matthew's account, or the Holy Spirit through Paul wrote this. It's not, I say to you, Jimmy Clark says to you, I don't have any authority. The authority's in this book. That's what preaching's about. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 20, it says, Then began he to upbraid the cities, wherein, watch this, most of his mighty works were done. Most. That indicates that there were works done in general areas in Galilee, but most of them were done right here in this region, right above the north curve of the Sea of Galilee. That's where Capernaum is. That's where Chorazin and Bethsaida. Most of Jesus' basic operations were right in that region. Now, he'd raised the widow of Nain's son, Jairus' daughter in Capernaum, all kinds of things that you could read. You know the first miracle, right, guys? Water to wine. Where is that? That's in Cana. That's in Galilee. That's not at the Sea of Galilee, but it's in Galilee. So he turns around, and they've seen all these miracles. They've heard his teaching. And what's wrong with them? What's the problem? Well, I don't have to wonder. Verse 20 says, because, because what? 
because they repented not. It's not that they didn't hear. It's not that they didn't see. I have a gentleman right now that I'm trying to work with to get him to obey the gospel. He's coming pretty regular right now with his wife. He tells me he's not an atheist and an agnostic. And I've studied with him at home one time and still working with him, not giving up on him. Matter of fact, he's about more regular than some of my own members. He ought to be there all the time. And um, he told me point blank, he said, if I could just see one miracle, I'd believe. I said, you got a whole book full of them. You got the record of multiplied miracles. Even the Gospel of John says, many other signs did Jesus in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are. These what? These signs are written that you might believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and believe you might have life through his name. That's what the Gospel of John's about. You want to believe that Jesus is, that he's the Son of God? Look at the evidence. The evidence is here. I don't have to see a miracle. Well, in his mind, he needs to see something. In his mind, that will solidify and confirm it. Let me tell you something. They saw many miracles. The text says they saw many miracles. I've never seen the dead raised, but folks, I believe that. And I've got my hope that down here at Pine Hill Cemetery, there's at least several graves going to be opened up. My mother and daddy's bodies are down here. My grandparents are buried down here. Aunts and uncles, they're buried down here. Folks, Talladega County is almost home to me. Matter of fact, most of my relatives are in this county. Matter of fact, I'm preaching to most of my relatives tonight. I don't know why they'd sign me repentance. I don't know how far I'm going to get with my own folks. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, folks, you can see many miracles and not repent. Now keep that in your memory bank when we get to next hour. You can see many miracles and still not repent. So Jesus upbraids them. Upbraid means to severely rebuke. Notice, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to the Bethsaida, for if the mighty works that had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. What? Tyre and Sidon would have repented like Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah in Matthew 12, 41? That's right. Well, let me ask you a question. Was there a woman whose daddy was a king in Sidon? Phoenician? By the way, the name, you probably don't want to name any of your daughters if you ever have a daughter. It starts with a J. Married Ahab. She is from this region. You mean the folks from Tyre and Sidon that had a Jezebel to grow up in there, they would have repented if they had seen what Chorazin and Bethsaida had seen? That's what Jesus said. Keep on dropping down. Notice verse 23. Thou Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell or Gatina, for the mighty works have been done, and they had been done in Sodom. Sodom? You're kidding me. They had a righteous man in their lot, vexed his soul day by day with their ungodful deed, lawful deeds, 2 Peter chapter 2 says. You mean God would have spared, there would have been ten righteous souls in Sodom if what Jesus had done had been done in Sodom? That's what it says. And Capernaum, you had more opportunities than they had. And they'd still be around. That's an ancient city if it'd still been around, right? Folks, that's Abraham's day it'd have still been around. That would have been one of the oldest cities on this planet if Sodom had still been around. By the way, Damascus, Syria, is pretty much right now the oldest city 
in the world. I guess we'd say in the biblical world. Because that city is still on the same geographical location it was. Not just when Saul of Tarsus was there, when Abraham came through there. Opportunities. All right, now let me, as Dad used to say, drive a peg home here and come back to this point. How many opportunities have you ever heard the gospel? How many opportunities have you ever had to read your Bible? By the way, think about being able to read Genesis to Revelation. Folks, when Jesus was walking on the planet, they didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, all the way to Revelation. You know what they had? They had Moses and the prophets. What they had was Genesis to Malachi. That's all they had when Jesus was walking around. You had the spoken word of Jesus. You had the spoken word of John the Baptist. And you had the Old Testament scriptures. Try figuring out working out your salvation with fear and trembling, just having the Old Testament scriptures. I'll tell you something. The book of Hebrews sheds a whole lot of light on the Old Testament scriptures. And so does the book of Romans. And you can't understand Revelation without the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Got all these miracles. Got all this preaching. You see the Son of God with your own eyes. And you still won't change. Can you see why Jesus would say that? I've often said at home in North Alabama. There, I can't tell you how many congregations there are in North Alabama. From Mississippi State Line all the way to the Georgia State Line. Every time you turn around, there's about 100 to 125 resumes to congregations in North Alabama of preachers wanting to move there. There's something about our part of the world. Actually, it even spreads down into here. You get outside the Bible Belt, guys. You ever been outside the Bible Belt? Churches is few and far between. And I heard a preacher years ago make this statement when I was a younger preacher. And I, it stuck with me. He says, it's real tough to go to heaven from North Alabama. I thought, you've lost your mind, man. I've got all kind of opportunities here. He says, yeah, with opportunity comes responsibility. Rejection. Oh, now look. They just, they just didn't understand. Let's go to another rejection. Look at Luke 16. Do you know it is possible for a person to be on the other side of the grave, to be dead, be in the Hadean realm, and still not repent? Still not repent. Jesus gives an account. I don't believe this is a parable. I believe this is an account that would have been true in that day. Of a rich man that fared sumptuously every day. This starts in verse 19. There's a beggar at his doorstep, Lazarus. He's got sores, the dog there at the doorsteps licking Lazarus' sores. He would fain eat the crumbs that fell from that man's table. That basically would be the leftovers that you didn't want to keep. Just threw it out the door. Lazarus is out there to eat them. Lazarus dies. The angels carry him to Abraham's bosom. And ultimately the rich man dies and the rich man's in torments. But there's a great gulf. But the rich man can see Lazarus and Abraham and vice versa. 
The rich man cries out to Abraham to send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and touch the tip of his tongue that he might be, that it might cool his tongue for he's tormented in the flame. Abraham basically says, you remember in your days when you were comforted and he was tormented, now he's comforted and you are tormented. A great gulf and one cannot pass to the other. Well, I have five brothers back home. You remember the count, guys? I have five brothers back home. Send Lazarus back. Send Lazarus back. And they will what? Let's read that text. It says in verse 28, I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham says to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They had what you had. That's all they needed at the time. Watch the rich man's statement. Folks, he's already on the other side of this life. Surely, you get on that side, you've got it all figured out as to what works and what don't work. Wrong. Nay, Father Abraham, if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. There's your word. There's your operative word of this lectureship right there. Here is a man who's already dead, who's in torments, and he thinks he's got it figured out how to get folks to repent in this life. Think about that a minute. Come on, think hard about that one. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. You're not dead yet. You're just deceived. This man's dead. This man's in Hadean realm. You'd think he'd have got a wake-up call, right? Do you know what this man's attitude in Hades is still about the Bible? It still won't get the job done. That's what he thinks. Send somebody back from the dead. That'll shake everybody up. Let me tell you something. Jesus rose the dead and God raised him from the dead. It ain't shook this world up. You can have all kinds of things go on. And man can still not repent before he dies and after he dies. Oh, man, if I could just see a miracle, I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. If I got on the other side of life, I don't I'd know everything. I didn't know you wouldn't. Folks, we know what we want to know. And we do what we want want to do whether we are alive here or existence on that other side and Abraham flat told him if they hear not Moses and the prophets neither will they be persuaded that means they wouldn't repent even if though one rose from the dead that's how the account ends I would love for that account to go on to see what the rich man's rebuttal even to that was. But that was enough said. He thought on the other side of death. This is how you get folks to repent. Send one back from the dead. This is how you get folks to repent. And not how you get folks to repent. You get folks to repent in a very, very unique way. We get to that in the next hour. 
Now let's look at those that did get it. I'll give you two quick examples before I get to the parables. Turn now to Gospel of Luke. By the way, the whole Gospel of Luke is filled with sections on repentance. As a matter of fact, I'm not real sure that's not the major theme of the book of Luke, is repentance. Look at Luke chapter 5. Verse 27, after these things he went forth, he sees a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. He says unto him, follow me. He left all, rose up, and followed him. Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with him. Let's stop right there. Levi, who is that guy? That's Matthew, wrote the book of Matthew. That's his Jewish name, Levi. By the way, my grandson's named Levi. So I'm sort of partial to that name, right? It means joined. goes all the way back to the original Levi. Jacob's sons, Reuben, Simeon, Levi. The Lord has joined one unto us. Oh, this man now is now in fellowship with the Lord. Served the Roman government as a publican. Probably sitting at the receipt of custom, he had a dual task. He was the man at the toll booth when you went through that you had to pay a toll. You ever been through a toll booth? They got sections in Florida. You can't go anywhere down there without going through a toll booth. They got sections on the New Jersey term. You can't hardly go 15 miles without having to go through a toll booth. Went through Florida the other day, and they've already upped the price from 50 cents to 75, and I was irate about that. A quarter. Next time, probably, it'll be a dollar. I have to get four quarters instead of three. They're just gigging you. Listen. I wouldn't rather live anywhere in the world in the United States of America. I'd gladly put three quarters in that machine. Folks, I've been in Africa. They got potholes bigger than any SUV you've driven up here. We got fine roads in America. And you got to pay for them if you want to keep them up. <clears throat> here he is. What do you know about a publican besides the fact he's a tax collector? John the Baptist met some of them. They asked him, what should we do? He's talking about soldiers and what do we do? What do we do in view of your subject on repentance? He says, exact nothing more than what is expected. Evidently, they had a reputation of gigging their customers. I don't know if they got an extra quarter out of me down there in Florida. It's actually 50 and somebody stuck 75 on there. So they got, you know, 50 quarters every time you come there. I don't care. Here he has Jesus, follow me, drop what I'm doing, come to my house, going to have a supper, going to have some of my publican friends, and I'm going to have other folks that aren't publicans also come. I'll be there. Well, that didn't suit everybody. Verse 30, their scribes and Pharisees murmured against the disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus makes this statement, they that are whole need not a physician. They that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew got it. Evidently, Matthew's friends got it. A lot, a lot of details here about Matthew dropping everything he did like there is with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. There's a lot more supplemental material on that. But evidently, Matthew knew about what Peter, Andrew, James, and John knew up around Capernaum. While Jesus pronounced a huge woe on Capernaum, not everybody in Capernaum was rotten. 
some folks got it. Not everything in the United States is good, guys. But not everybody in this country is rotten. And thanks be unto God that we still have folks that won't do right. That want to hear about repentance. What's lawful? What isn't lawful? What do I need to change? How to make myself better? How to make the church better? How to make my home better? How to make my job site better? How can I serve better and be happy and have the eternal reward on the other side and know and know that I have heaven reserved in heaven for you? First Peter 1 4. Levi got it. I give you another publican. Luke 19. Jesus is now on his way to Jerusalem. His three and a half year ministry is pretty much up. He goes from Jerusalem, excuse me, from Jericho, and he's headed toward Jerusalem up the mountain. When he gets to Jericho, there's a little short man. We call him the little wee man when I was a child in a little song, climbed up in a sycamore tree. By the way, short people tend to be made fun of. This man was a Republican, the Bible says. And the text says in verse 2, he was rich. He was rich. I would take it that here is a man probably that would fit the profile of the kinds of publicans that John the Baptist met. Maybe even like Matthew was at one time. Maybe Matthew was rich, though the New Testament doesn't tell us. But it tells us point blank Zacchaeus was. If I were to ask anybody in this room, raise your hand if you think you're rich. You better be raising your hand. You live in the United States of America, and though you may think you're middle class and that ain't rich, you're rich. You fared sumptuously. You rode up here in a fine automobile, and you probably made enough money to pay taxes on April the 15th. You are rich. You would sit right there where Zacchaeus is. Climbs up in the tree. Jesus sees him. Zacchaeus, make haste. Come down from there, the old song goes. I'm going home to eat with you. Bible says, verse 6, he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. By the way, ladies, how many of you would entertain eat feeding Jesus for supper one night? My mama would be a nervous wreck <laughs> if Jesus Christ came to eat supper at my mama's house. She's a nervous wreck with guys like Guyane Woods and Gus Nichols and Don McWhorter. And I can just give you a laundry list of preachers that are now on their other side. The only time I remember us eating off the china that was the finest china my mama had is when the visiting gospel preachers showed up at our house. That's when we ate off that. Not Christmas, not our birthdays, not their anniversary. It was when the preacher came to our house. We ate out of crystal and china. The rest of the time, it was corral and Bama fruit jars. By the way, show you I'm in the south, right? What kind of setting could Zacchaeus have set before Jesus? He's a wealthy man. And Jesus ate with him as though you'd eat with anybody. He didn't call anybody. All of a sudden, the Bible says Zacchaeus stood, verse 8. Someone looked at me one day and said, well, he had to stand up. He was short anyway. Nobody had known he was standing up. No, I didn't want to bother. Stood up. Stand up means a posture of I'm taking the floor. 
He stood and he said unto the Lord. Not talking to the crowd that's there. Just said it to Jesus. Behold, Lord, the half my goods I give to the poor. If I have taken away anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Half my goods. I can live off half my goods. I'm going to take the other half and, as it were, give it to people out here that don't have anything. I'm not giving to the rich so one day they'll give back to me. I'm giving to the poor knowing they can't return it back to me. They're poor. Folks, that's a sacrifice, isn't it? That would be like the widow that gave two mites in principle. He's given half his living. Half his goods. If I have cheated anybody four times, if I took $100 for you, here, here's 400 I hope that will satisfy you. I'll assure you I'll never cheat you again. I'll never do anything like that to you again. You got my word on it. Jesus was impressed by that, and he says, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. What? A publican is a son of Abraham? Yeah. Then he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save was lost. So here is a man, short in stature, but a giant in the eyes of Jesus Christ. Here's another publican, Levi. Is our man Matthew, the apostle, who will write about the king and the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. That's acceptance. Repentance didn't run them off. Repentance ran them to the Lord. Now let's look at two quick parables. Actually, three very quickly. One, there are three parables in Luke 15. I'll not touch on the last one because I know Brother Mark's supposed to do that tomorrow. Mark Reynolds. But the first two parables are actually a comment with reference to the scribes and the Pharisees criticizing Jesus because he's associating with publicans and sinners. He talks about a shepherd. Has a hundred sheep. One wanders off. Does not the shepherd leave the ninety and nine. And go get the one. And when he finds the one. Brings him back. And there is rejoicing. Here's a woman has ten coins. She loses one. She sweeps the house. Every corner. Every nook and cranny is salt. And she finds the coin. She calls her friends. Let us make merry. The point is. There is joy in heaven. Among the angels. Over one sinner. One sinner that what? Repents. What's the Lord looking for out of these sinners? These publicans and sinners. He's looking for repentance. And Jesus said, is it not meet? Is it not fitting that we rejoice when people change their lives and show repentance? And now I take you to Matthew 21. Jesus turns to people that aren't want, don't want to accept what he's got to say. In Matthew 21, Jesus says, A certain man had two sons. He says to the first son, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And here's what the son says. I will not. Any of y'all ever had your child tell you no? How'd you like it? By the way, they generally learn that about two. And they perfect it by three. And they never forget it. 
I will not. But then it says, but afterwards repented. Didn't regret it. Afterward repented and went. Likewise, he said to the second son. And the second son said, I go, sir. How polite. Mom would be proud of that. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. He said he was polite about it. And he went not. Which of the two did the will of the Father, Jesus asked. They got the illustration. They missed the point. Suppose he that went. Publicans and harlots will enter into the kingdom of heaven before you. For they believed John the Baptist and repented. And after you even saw them, I'm putting this in my own words, after you even saw them do that, you then even did not afterwards repent and believe. When we offer invitations, and we're not offering an invitation song right now, or the Lord's invitation as we try to do it. By the way, the invitation is offered all, all the time. It didn't have to be formal. When an individual does respond to the invitation, that should stir somebody else to do likewise. That's what Jesus is saying there. They are getting it. And they are showing that they're getting it. No, they didn't get it right the first time. But they repented. And are trying to do better. You say, I go, sir. Yes, Father. And don't. You sit there. And do nothing. And the world is your example showing you what to do and still you see it and you still do nothing they'll be in the kingdom and you'll be on the outside on the heels of Matthew 21 is 22, 23, 24 and 25 study that this is Jesus final appeal as it were to his own nation I've given you three and a half years and John's preached to you You've seen miracles. You know my sinless life. You've got people who are just like you who are showing forth fruit of repentance. Will you not also change the mind and be blessed? The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Second Peter 3.9. We'll take the break.